Chapter 1. Pest Management Methods. Once a pest problem is anticipated or identified, you can begin planning your pest management program. You must know what pest what management methods are available and the benefits and limitations of each. Select methods that are the most effective and the least harmful to people in the environment. Whenever possible, combine the use of several compatible methods into an integrated pest management IPM program and target the pest at the most susceptible stage for control. Pest management methods. Natural controls and applied controls, which are biological control, mechanical control, cultural control, physical slash environmental, environmental modification, host resistance or genetic control, chemical control, regulatory methods. Natural controls are the measures that check or destroy pests without depending on humans for their continuance or success. Natural controls include climatic factors such as wind, temperature, sunshine, and rain. Topographic features such as rivers, lakes, and mountains can influence pest movement. Naturally occurring predators, parasites, and pathogens can regulate pest populations. When natural controls have not held posts in check, humans must intervene and apply pest management controls. Applied controls include biological, mechanical, cultural, physical, genetic, chemical, and regulatory methods. Biological control. Most pests have natural enemies that control or suppress them effectively in some situations. Natural enemies, including pathogens, are being used successfully as biological control agents to manage certain insect mite, fungal, fish, and weed pests. Biological control is often directed against the pests that are not native to a geographical area. Introduced pests are often problems in their new location because they lack natural enemies to help control them. Biological control involves locating the native home of an introduced pest and finding suitable natural enemies there. After extensive testing and evaluation, selected natural enemies are imported, reared, and released. If successful, the introduced natural enemies become established within large areas and effectively lower target pest populations for long periods of time with no further need for intervention. The process is complicated because it is often difficult to locate the native home of some pests and natural enemies cannot be released until it is proven that they will not become pests themselves. Laws have been enacted that strictly control the importation of all organisms, including biological control agents, into the United States. Other countries have similar restrictions. Biological control also involves the mass release of large numbers of natural enemies into fields, orchards, greenhouses, or other locations to control specific pests. This method usually does not have long-term results, so these natural enemies must be released periodically. Several natural enemies are reared or cultured commercially. Predator mites are used to control plant-feeding spider mites. Parasitic wasps and lacewings are used to control various insect pests. Nematodes and fungi are being studied as biological control agents for certain weeds and some insects. General predators such as praying mantids and lady beetles are sold with claims made for biological control. In many cases, However, their effectiveness has not been established. 
maintaining populations of natural enemies by avoiding damaging cultural practices or the indiscriminate use of pesticides can be one of the most economical means of control. If pesticides are part of your control program, select types that are known to be less toxic to natural enemies or, if recommended, apply pesticides at lower than label rates to avoid harming natural enemies. Sometimes it is possible to modify certain parts of the environment, such, such as by planting crops or ground covers to maintain or enhance natural enemies. Mechanical control. Mechanical control involves the use of devices, machines, and other physical methods to control pests or alter their environment. Traps, screens, barriers, fences, and nets are examples of devices used to prevent pest activity or remove pests from an area. Cultivation. Cultivation is one of the most important methods of controlling weeds. It is also used for some insects and other soil inhabiting, pe inhabiting pests. Mechanical devices such as plows, discs, mowers, cultivators, and bed conditioners physically destroy weeds or control their growth and disrupt soil conditions suitable for the survival of some microorganisms and insects. Exclusion. Exclusion is a mechanical control technique that consists of using barriers to prevent pests from getting into an area. Window screens, for example, exclude flies, mosquitoes, and other flying insects. Patching or sealing cracks, crevices, and other small openings in buildings can exclude insects, rodents, bats, birds, or other pests. Forces, fences and ditches make effective barriers against many vertebrate pests. Wire or cloth mesh excludes birds from fruit trees. Sticky material painted onto tree trunks, posts, wires, and other objects prevent crawling insects from crossing Trapping. Traps physically catch pests within an area or building. Several types of traps are commonly used. Some kill animals that come in contact with them. Others snare animals so they can be relocated or destroyed. Traps are either mechanical devices or sticky surfaces. Cultural control. The goal of cultural control is to alter the environment, the condition of the host plant or site, or the behavior of the pest to prevent or suppress an infestation. It disrupts the normal relationship between the pest and the host plant or site and makes the pest less likely to survive, grow, or reproduce. Cultural practices and sanitation are two examples of cultural control. Cultural practices. Many cultural practices influence the survival of pests. In turf, mowing, irrigation, aeration, and fertilization are all important ways of producing healthy turf and preventing pest buildup and damage. In agricultural crops, selection of crop plant varieties, timing of planting and harvesting, irrigation management and timing, crop rotation, and use of trap crops help reduce populations of weeds, microorganisms, insects, mites, and other pests. Weeds can also be managed by mulching with plastic straw, shredded bark, or wood chips, and by using cover crops. Physical Environmental Modification Pests that occur in enclosed areas may sometimes be suppressed by altering physical and environmental conditions such as water, air movement, temperature, light, and humidity. Refrigeration, for example, protects stored food products, furs, and other items from insect pests. Lowered temperatures either kill the insects, cause them to stop feeding, or prevent egg hatch or development. Installing bright lights in attics sometimes discourages bats from roosting there. 
Lowering the humidity of stored grains and other food products reduces damage from mold and some insects. Increasing air movement in glass or plastic houses often helps to suppress fungal diseases from developing on plants. Chemical controls. Chemical controls are pesticides that are either naturally derived or synthesized. Pesticides often play a key role in pest management programs and frequently may be, only, may be the only control method available. Major benefits associated with the use of pesticides are their effectiveness, the speed and ease of controlling pests, and in many instances their reasonable cost compared with other control options. Usually pest damage stops or pests are destroyed within a few hours for insects to a few days or weeks or excuse me, a few days for weeds after application of a pesticide. Using a fungicide may provide immediate short-term protection against microorganisms. A pesticide is defined as any material that is applied to plants, the soil, water, harvested crops, structures, clothing, and furnishings, or animals to kill, attract, repel, or regulate, or interrupt the growth and mating of pests, or to regulate plant growth. Pesticides include a wide assortment of chemicals and specialized names and functions. They are commonly grouped according to the type of pest they control. Avicides control pest birds. Bactericides control bacteria. Disinfectants control microorganisms. Fungicides control fungi. Herbicides control weeds and other undesirable plants. Insecticides control insects and related arthropods. Miticides control mites. Mollicides control snails and slugs. Nematicides control nematodes, which are roundworms. Predicides control predatory, predatory vertebrates. Um, Pisicides control pest fish. Repellents repel insects, related invertebrates, birds, and mammals. Rodenticides control rodents. Defoliants cause leaves or foliage to drop from plants. Desiccants promote drying or loss of moisture from plant tissue. Growth regulators are substances other than fertilizers or food that alter the growth or development of a plant or animal. Each group of pesticide includes several classes or families. For example, the classes of insecticide include, among others, the organophosphates, organochlorines, carbonates, pyrethroids, botanicals, insecticidal soap, and microbials. The pesticides within a particular class have simil similar chemical structure or properties or share a common mode of action. The mode of action of a pesticide is how the pesticide works. In other words, it is what specific systems in the pest are affected by the pesticide. The various classes of chemicals work in different ways and present different risks and problems. Pesticides also vary in their sensitivity, or excuse me, selectivity. Fumigants, for example, are non-selective, controlling a wide variety of pests, fungi, insects, weeds, nematodes, etc. Some non-selective herbicides control any plant given a sufficient dose. In contrast, Selective products control only certain species of pests or affect only a certain stage of pest development. For example, certain herbicides control broadleaf weeds while not harming 
grasses, and ovicides kill only the eggs of certain insects, mites, and related pests. Pesticides may move in various ways after they come in contact with a host. Systemic pesticides are absorbed through the leaves or roots and then transported within the treated plant. Similarly, systemic insecticides can be eaten or injected into livestock to control certain pests. By contrast, contact pesticides are not absorbed by treated plants or animals. These pesticides must directly touch the pest or a site the pest frequents to be effective. Pesticides also vary in their persistence or how long they remain active to control pests. Some residual pesticides control pests for weeks, months, or even years. Others provide only short-term control, sometimes lasting only a few hours. The production, sale, use, storage, and disposal of all pesticides are regulated at both the federal and state levels. The federal laws and regulations governing all aspects of pesticide use and handling are covered in Chapter 2. Regulatory pest control. Some pest problems cannot be controlled successfully at a local level. These problems involve pests that are seriously in in these pests seriously endanger public health or are likely to cause widespread damage to agricultural crops or animals, forests or ornamental plants. Quarantine or eradication programs directed by governmental agencies according to federal and state laws are used to prevent the introduction and spread of such pests. Quarantine is a pest control process designed to prevent entry of spray program, releasing sterile insects, using mechanical culture and cultural practices, and intensive monitoring for pests within and around the borders of the infected areas. Government agencies are authorized to destroy weeds and plants that cause fire hazards, harbor harmful pathogens or animals, or are noxious to people or livestock in and around agricultural areas. Similar authority applies to diseased or infected livestock or poultry and to weeds and nuisance plants in residential, commercial, and industrial areas. Mosquito abatement is an important pest control function undertaken to protect public health. Under the authority of the mosquito abatement laws, state agencies drain or treat standing water that provides breeding sites for mosquitoes. Integrated Pest Management, IPM. Why practice IPM? You might be wondering why pest managers have shifted to IPM when chemical pesticides so often succeed at controlling pests. There are many reasons to broaden pest management beyond the use of chemicals. IPM helps to keep a balanced ecosystem. Every ecosystem made up of living things and their non-living environment has a balance. The actions of one kind of organism in the ecosystem usually affects other species. Introducing chemicals into the ecosystem can change this balance, destroying certain species and allowing other species, sometimes pests, pests themselves, to dominate. Pesticides can kill beneficial insects that consume pests, leaving few natural mechanisms of pest control. Pesticides can be ineffective. Chemical pesticides are not always effective. As mentioned earlier, pests can become resistant to pesticides. In fact, some 600 cases of pests developing pesticide resistance have been documented to date, including many common weeds, insects, and disease-causing fungi. Furthermore, pests may survive in situations where the chemical does not reach pests. It is washed off or applied in an improper rate or it is applied at an improper life stage of the pest. IPM can save money. 
IPM can avoid crop loss and landscape and structural damage caused by pests and prevent unnecessary pesticide expense. Applicators can save on pesticide costs because the need for control rather than the calendar is the basis for applying pesticides. IPM promotes a healthy environment. We have much to learn about the persistence of chemicals in the environment and their effect on living creatures. Cases of contaminated groundwater appear each year and disposal of containers and unused pesticides still pose challenges for applicators. Make sure that environmental impacts are considered in any pest management decisions. Using IPM strategies help keep unreasonable adverse effects to a minimum. IPM maintains a good public image. IPM is now demanded by many sectors in our society. IPM has been implemented to grow our food, to manage turf and ornamentals, to protect home and business structures, to manage school grounds, uh, and to promote humans, pets, and livestock health. Uh, components of IPM. All of the components of an IPM approach can be grouped into five major steps. Identify the pest and understand its biology, monitor the pest to be managed, develop a sound pest management goal, and implement an IPM program and record and evaluate results. Number one, identify the pest and understand its biology. Despite our best preventative efforts, some pest outbreaks inevitably occur. The first step in any pest management program is to identify the pest. Never classify an organism as a pest or treat it as a pest until it is clearly determined to be one. Identification is important whether you are dealing with an insect, weed, plant, disease, or vertebra. The more that you know about a pest, the easier and more successful pest management becomes. Once you have identified a pest, you can access information about its life cycle and behavior, the factors that favor development, and the recommended control procedures. You can also determine the significance of the pest and the need for control. Some pests have little impact on plant, animal, or structure and do not require control. Other pests warrant immediate control because, the cause, because they cause serious damage or present a significant threat to human health or public safety. Most pests may be classified either as key pests, occasional pests, or secondary pests. Key pests may cause major damage on a regular basis unless they are controlled. Many weeds, for example, are key pests because they compete with a crop or ornamental plant for resources and require regular control efforts to prevent or reduce damage. Occasional pests become troublesome only once in a while because their life cycles are environmental influences or as a result of human activities. For instance, ants sometimes become, an oca become occasional pests when sanitation practices change, providing them with food where previously none existed. They also may move into buildings after a rainfall or other event destroys an outdoor food source. Secondary pests become problems when a key pest is controlled or eliminated. For example, some weed species become pests only after key weeds, which are normally more successful in competing for resources, are controlled. Certain species of fleas, ticks, and blood-feeding bugs attack people only when their natural hosts, such as pet dogs or cats, are no longer present. Two, monitor the pest to be managed. The key to a successful IPM program is regular monitoring. Monitoring involves measuring pest populations and or the resulting damage or losses. 
The procedure for monitoring may vary with the pest and the, and the situation. Sorry. Scouting and trapping are commonly used to monitor insects and their activity. Weather and temperature data are particularly helpful in following a pest's life cycle or in predicting how long it takes a certain pest to develop. Models have been developed for a number of insects and plant diseases to predict the need for and timing of pesticide applications. Use pest population thresholds. Producers of agricultural or ornamental products must understand the concept of economic thresholds. The presence of a pest does not always cause a loss in quality or quantity of an agricultural or ornamental product. To justify the cost of control, pest populations must be large enough to cause significant damage. This population level is called the economic threshold, ET. The economic threshold is the pest population density, number of pests per unit of area, at which control measures are needed to prevent the pest from reaching the economic injury level. The economic injury level, EIL, is the pest population density that causes loss equal to the cost of control measures. To make a control practice profitable, or at least break even, it is necessary to set the economic threshold below the economic injury level. Economic thresholds are available for many pests and crops. Several factors can influence an economic threshold. These factors include the current value of agricultural or ornamental product, its stage of development, the degree of damage caused under various environmental conditions, the cost and effectiveness of control measures, and the anticipated yield. For example, even slight damage to an ornamental or floricultural crop may reduce the value significantly and render it unsaleable. So the economic threshold must be set quite low. For pest managers who are not directly involved in production, the concept of action thresholds is more, more appropriate. An action threshold is the pest level at which some type of pest management action must be taken. It is a predetermined pest level that is deemed to be unacceptable. Factors besides economics come into consideration for establishing action thresholds. In some situations, the action threshold for a pest may be zero. For example, no presence of the pest is tolerated. This is especially true when the pest is capable of, capable of transmitting a human pathogen, mosquitoes and the West Nile virus, for example, has a ven venomous bite or sting, like some spiders or wasps, or may create a public health emergency, cockroaches, rodents. In an urban landscape, action thresholds must consider not only the economic value of the landscape, but also its ecological and aesthetic roles. Even a slight amount of pest damage may be unacceptable in such an environment. Action thresholds can vary by pest, by site, and by season. Often the action threshold is expressed as the number of pests per unit area. Below the action threshold level, IPM technicians do not use any control measures, though they should continue to monitor the situation and do sanitation inspections as needed. Once a pest is at or above the action threshold, the technician should implement a full range of IPM strategies to control the pest. Action thresholds are easy to understand, but establishing them is more difficult. In a new IPM program, a practical approach is to establish an, an arbitrary action threshold for the major pests you encounter. As you gain insight and experience into specific pest management settings, the action levels can be reviewed up or down. Number three, oh yeah, develop the pest management goal. 
The goal of most IPM programs is to maintain pest damage at economically acceptable levels. Prevention and suppression techniques are often combined in an effective IPM program. In rare instances, eradication may be the goal of an IPM program. Once the goal of the program has been de determined, the strategy for a sound IPM program is to coordinate the use of multiple tactics in a, to a single integrated system. Pesticides are just one method for controlling pests. Non-chemical methods may provide longer and more permanent control of a pest and should always be considered when developing a pest management strategy. Evaluate the costs, benefits, and liabilities of cash control tactic prevention. Often economical and environmentally sound ways are available to prevent loss or damage from pests. Such techniques include planting weed and disease-free seed and growing varieties of plants resistant to diseases or insects. Other choices are using cultural controls to prevent weedy plants from seeding and choosing planting and harvesting times that minimize pest problems. Sanitation methods often reduce the buildup of pests. Other preventative methods involve excluding pests from the target area or host and using practices that conserve natural enemies. Making sure that plants, poultry, or livestock receive adequate water and nutrients often reduces stress and susceptibility to a disease and pests. Pesticides are sometimes used for pest prevention. For example, growers treat some crops and landscapes with pre-plant or pre-emergence herbicide because they know weed seeds are present. If plant pathogens have already infected susceptible plants, economic damage usually cannot be prevented. For this reason, fungicides are normally applied before inf infection occurs, whenever environmental conditions favor infection. Likewise, pesticides are applied to structural lumber before construction to prevent it from insects and fungi. Suppression. Suppressive pest control methods are used to reduce pest population levels. The methods chosen usually do not eliminate all pests, but reduce their populations to tolerable level or to a point below an economic inquiry level. Additional aggressive me measures may be required. Suppression sometimes lowers pest populations so natural enemies are able to maintain control. Suppression is the goal of most pesticide applications. Other techniques such as cultivation or mowing of weeds and release of biological control agents are also used to suppress pest populations. Can you let my cat back in? Eradication. Eradication is the total elimination of a pest from a designated area. This is com a common objective of pest control efforts in buildings or other small confined spaces where, once the pest is eliminated, it can be excluded. For example, eliminating cockroaches, rats, and mice from commercial food establishments involves eradication. Over larger areas, however, eradication is very expensive and often has limited success. Large eradication programs are usually directed at exotic or introduced pests posing an area-wide public health or economic threat. Such programs are generally coordinated by government agencies. Efforts to eliminate Mediterranean fruit fly and hydrilla, an aquatic weed, in California and Florida respectively are examples of this type of pest management. The pest control strategy you choose depends on the nature of the pest, the environment of the pest, and economic or tolerance considerations. Combining prevention and suppression techniques usually enhances a pest management program. Ob objectives sometimes differ differ, however, for the same pest in different situations. For example, the Mediterranean fruit fly 
is an established pest in Hawaii, so the emphasis there is to use prevention and suppression techniques to reduce crop damage. Regulatory agencies in California and Florida, however, use eradication measures to prevent the Mediterranean fruit fly from becoming permanently established in these areas. Number four, implement the integrated pest management program. The following steps should be taken before implementing an IPM program. One, identify the pest. Two, set up a monitoring program. Three, know the pest level that triggers control. Four, know what control methods are available. Five, evaluate the benefits and risks of each method. When implementing the IPM program, try to select the methods that are the most effective and the least harmful to people and the environment. Use several methods whenever possible and be sure to use them correctly. It is also important to observe all local, state, and federal regulation regarding the methods chosen. Number five, record and evaluate results. It is extremely important to record and evaluate the results of, control, of your control efforts. Some control methods, especially non-chemical procedures, are slow to yield measurable results. Other methods may be ineffective or even damaging to the target crop, animal, treated surface, or natural predators and parasites. Consider how well your strategies work and their impact on the environment before implementing them again. And we are on Chapter 2, Federal Pesticide Laws, Federal Insecticide, Fungicide, and Rodenticide Act, FIFRA. The U.S. Congress enacted legislation that regulates the production, transportation, sale, use, and disposal of all pesticides. The Federal Insecticide, Fungicide, and Rodenticide Act, commonly referred to by its initials FIFRA, was enacted in 1947. It was amended considerably in 1972, then again in 1975, 1978, and 1988. This statute is administered by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, EPA. FIFRA provides the overall framework for the federal pesticide program. Under FIFRA, the EPA is responsible for registering or authorizing pesticide products for use in the United States. Pesticide registration decisions are based on a detailed assessment of the potential effects of a product on human health and the environment when used according to label directions. These approved labels have the force of law. Anyone who uses a pesticide in a way not in accordance with the label directions and precautions may be subject to civil and or criminal penalties. FIFRA also re requires that the EPA reevaluate older pesticides to ensure they meet the more recent safety standards. FIFRA requires the EPA, states, tribes, and territories to establish programs to protect workers and to provide training and certification for applicators. A major provision of FIFRA gives the EPA the authority to stop the sale or use of any pesticide. The EPA can issue removal orders and seize products to keep them out of the market. Also, state restrictions on pesticides cannot be more liberal than those of FIFRA. Individual states may impose stricter regulations on a pesticide, but the labeling and packaging must be uniform nationwide. Uniform packaging standards include container type, size, and color. Under FIFRA, all pesticides are classified according to their potential hazards under the circumstances in which they are to be used. The two main classifications are unclassified use and restricted use. Though unclassified pesticides are commonly referred to as general use pesticides. 
It should be noted that the EPA has classified very few pesticides as general use. Most pesticides that might be expected to fit into the general use category currently remain unclassified. Normally, they have a lower toxicity than restricted use pesticides and so less potential to harm humans or the environment. They can be bought and used by the general public without special permits or restrictions. The EPA classifies a pesticide as restricted use if one of the pesticide, if if use of the pesticide might result in an unreasonable adverse effect on human health and or the environment. However, application by trained persons according to label directions would protect such against such an effect. This restricted use classification must be stated on their label. Some active ingredients and pesticides may be listed in both use categories depending on the formulation, the application method, and the intended uses. For example, an emulsifiable concentrate formulation of a certain insecticide used on fruit trees might be classified as restricted use if it contains a high percentage of active ingredient, for example, 70%. But the same chemical with a low percentage of active ingredient, for example, 5% in a granular formation used to treat turf insects, could be classified as general use pesticide. Restricted use pesticides, RUP, may be sold only to certified applicators. A certified applicator is an individual who has been recognized and certified by the state, tribe, territory, or agency responsible for regulating pesticides as being competent to use or supervise the use of restricted use pesticides. Certified applicators must know how to read a pesticide label and be able to follow directions to use them properly and safely. Under FIFRA, there are two types of pesticide applicators, private and commercial. A private applicator is defined as a certified applicator who uses or supervises the use of any restricted use pesticide for the purpose of producing an agricultural commodity, for example, field and forage crops, fruit, vegetables, nursery stock, Christmas trees, greenhouse plants, livestock, etc., on his or her own property or property he or she rents or leases. Commercial applicators are individuals who use or supervise the use of any restricted use pesticide for the, any purpose on any property except those provided for under the definition of a private applicator. Only certified applicators or individuals under their direct supervision may mix, load, or apply restricted use pesticides. To become certified, a person must exhibit a broad-based knowledge of and competency in pesticide use and handling. This provides an alternative to more stringent controls on or even cancellation of the use of these pesticides. The certified applicator is not permitted to use any pesticide for any other use other than that stated on the label except when specific exemptions are granted under Section 2 of FIFRA. Section 2 contains provisions that exclude several application procedures from being classified as uses inconsistent with product labeling. Note: Not all regulatory agencies recognize the provisions of Section 2 under FIFRA. Before making a pesticide applications, you need to consult your pesticide regulatory agency to see if your respective state, tribe, territory, or agency recognizes these provisions. These provisions allow a pesticide may be applied to control a target pest not specified on the label if the pesticide is applied to a crop, animal, or site specifically listed on the label. For example, interior of a home, food handling establishments, exterior, ornamental plants, corn, tomatoes, etc. Any method of application may be used that is not prohibited by the label. A pesticide may be applied at a dosage, concentration, or frequency less than that is specified on the label, except in the case of term termiticides <coughs> labeled for pre-construction treatments. 
A pesticide fertilizer mixture may be used if the mixture is not prohibited by the label. The certification process by all the states, tribes, and territories must be accomplished through the EPA-approved programs. Each state is responsible for implementing the certification program. In addition, all states have signed cooperative agreements with the EPA that designate an agency within the state, for example, the state-led agency, to enforce the provisions of FIFRA. In some situations, more than one agency within a state may be designated to enforce various components of FIFRA. States, tribes, territories, and some local jurisdictions have their own legal requirements concerning pesticide use. You are responsible for knowing about these requirements and complying with them. Be sure you are up to date on legal requirements at all governmental levels, laws, and regulations are constantly evolving as pesticide application becomes more complex and more is learned about potential hazards. Ignorance of the law is never an accepted excuse for a violation. Violative acts and federal penalties. A variety of actions by pesticide manufacturers, sellers, and users are unlawful under the provisions of FIFRA. These acts include distributing, selling, or delivering any unregistered pesticide, making any advertising claim about a pesticide not included in the registration statement, selling any registered pesticide if its content does not conform to label data, selling an adulterated or misbranded pesticide, detaching, altering, defacing, or destroying any part of a container or label, refusing to keep records or permit authorized EPA inspections, making a guarantee other than that specified by the label, advertising a restricted-use pesticide without giving the product classification, making a restricted-use pesticide available to a non-certified applicator, using a pesticide in any manner not consistent with the label. Penalties. Both civil and criminal penalties can be assessed for FIFRA violations. Civil penalties. In general, commercial applicators, wholesalers, dealers, retailers may be assessed a civil penalty of not more than $5,000 for each offense. The first violation by a private applicator as defined by statute results in a warning by the, from the EPA. Each, each subsequent offense is subject to a fine up to $1,000. In determining civil penalties, Section 14 requires the EPA to consider the size of the business, how the penalty affects the ability of the firm to remain in business, and the gravity of the violation. In cases involving only minor violations, the EPA may issue a warning instead of assessing a penalty. Criminal penalty piece. <clears throat> Willful violation of FIFRA provisions is a misdemeanor upon conviction. A private applicator is subject to a fine of up to $1,000 and or 30 days imprisonment imprisonment a commercial applicator is subject to a fine of up to $25,000 and or up to 1 year of imprisonment and a producer is subject to a fine of up to 50,000 and or up to 1 year of imprisonment remember you must all you must use all pesticides according to label directions the label is the law Other federal laws and regulations. As previously discussed, FIFRA is the main federal law re regulating pesticide use. The other core statute providing the EPA regulatory authority for pesticides is the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act, FFDCA. Other federal laws cover certain pesticide re regulated 
excuse me, related activities such as transportation, storage, disposal, protecting the safety of employees, and reporting accidents and spills. Applicators will encounter other laws and regulations that they must also be aware of and comply with. In some cases, the pesticide label will alert you to them. Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, FFDCA. The FFDCA governs the establishment of pesticides, tolerances for food and feed products. A tolerance is the maximum level of pesticide residues allowed in or on human food and animal feed. The EPA and the Food and Drug Administration are responsible for administering this act. Food Quality Protection Act, FQPA. The FQPA passed in 1996, amended both FIFRA and the FFDCA, and set a tougher standard for pesticides used on food. The FQPA established a single health-based standard to be used when assessing the risks of pesticide residues in food or feed. The new safety standard considers the aggregate risk from dietary exposures and other non-occupational sources of exposures, such as drinking water and residual lawn uses. In addition, when setting new or reassessing existing tolerances under the new standard, the EPA must now focus explicitly on exposures and risks to infants and children. Decisions must take into consideration whether tolerances are safe for children, assuming when appropriate an additional safety factor to account for uncertainty and data. Other FQPA requirements may include the EPA establishing a tolerance only if there is a reasonable certainty that no harm results from all combined sources of exposure to pesticides. The FQPA also considers the combined effects of human exposure to different pesticides that may act in similar ways to the body. The EPA reviewing all old pesticides to make sure that the residues allowed on food meet the new safety standard. The EPA testing pesticides for endocrine, endocrine disruption potential. Endocrine disruptors may be linked to a variety of sexual, developmental, behavioral, and reproductive problems. The EPA distributing a brochure discussing pesticides on foods to supermarkets to better inform the public. <coughs> okay, federal re record keeping requirements, application records. Keeping application records meets the requirements of regulations. It is also a wise practice. Records can prove invaluable as documentation in the event of a complaint or lawsuit. If there is ever a legal complaint against an applicator about the suspected use of a pesticide, the pesticide application records provide all information about the pesticides that have been applied and thus protect the applicator by providing documentation. They can also help to determine which pesticide treatments work, which treatments do not work, and why. They can help applicators plan future purchases of pesticides so that they only buy the actual amount needed. This helps avoid costly pesticide product and container disposal problems, helps increase profits, and can help in making decisions about integrated, integrated pest management. If medical treatment is needed, pesticide records can provide information necessary to the medical staff. The records also document the steps taken to protect from workers, farm workers and the environment. Finally, federal and state surveys often use information voluntarily supplied from pesticide records. The data obtained by these surveys can help show the safety of and the economic need for the use of certain pesticides. In addition, the EPA and the USDA use pesticide survey information in determining benefits of pesticides being considered for re-registration. Re Without current accurate records to rely on to generate survey data, it is often difficult to show whether a particular pesticide is beneficial. 
The EPA administers federal record-keeping requirements for commercial applicators, and the USDA administers the requirements for private applicators. Both private and commercial applicators must be aware of the record-keeping requirements for their industry. States, tribes, territories, and other agencies often have their own record-keeping requirements for private and commercial applicators, which may be more stringent than federal standards. Chapter 3, The Label. One of the more important tools for the safe and effective use of pesticides is the product label. Pesticide manufacturers are required by law to put certain information on the label. Failure to heed and follow that information can result in a pesticide accident and legal action against the violator. Labels are legal documents providing directions on how to mix, apply, store, and dispose of pesticide products. Background of the Label. To appreciate the value of information on the pesticide label, one must consider the time, effort, and money spent to gather it. The information on a product label is the result of years of research. This information takes a minimum of six years to obtain and costs of a chemical company millions of dollars. Chemical companies continually make new compounds and then screen them for possible pesticide use. For every new pesticide that successfully meets the standards, thousands of other compounds are screened and discarded for various reasons. Once a promising pesticide is discovered, its potential application must be evaluated. If a company believes it has a worthwhile product and a strong possibility exists for a significant sales market, it begins wide-scale testing and label registration. Procedures. In the development and labeling of a pesticide, the manufacturer is interested in providing not only that the chemical controls the pest, but that it also does not cause unreasonable adverse effects. Many kinds of carefully controlled pests are conducted to, to determine the effectiveness and safety of each pesticide under a wide range of environmental conditions. Toxicity and toxicological tests. How poisonous or dangerous is a pesticide to humans, wildlife, and other organisms? Does the chemical cause any long-term effects? Does the chemical cause any skin reactions? To determine these and other health effects, researchers administer the pesticide at various dosages to test animals, usually rats and mice. These toxi toxicological tests all alone often cost a company several million dollars to complete. Efficacy or performance tests. Does the pesticide control the target pest? The company must have performance data to show that the pesticide controls a particular pest or a group of pests on one or more hosts or sites, including plants, animals, soil, and structures. Data must show that the pesticide, when used for its intended purpose and according to directions, is a useful product. Information is also needed on crop varieties, soil types, application methods and rates, and number of required applications. Tests must show that the pests are controlled, crops or animals are not injured, yield and or quality has been improved, and that the pesticide definitely provides a worthwhile benefit. Degradation, mobility, and res residue tests. What happens to the pesticide after it is applied? A series of studies is needed to show how long it takes for the compound to break down into harmless materials under various conditions. In addition, it is important to know the pesticide moves through the soil into groundwater or if it moves into the plant from treated soil. Residue studies are conducted for each method of application on each treated crop or animal. 
These tests determine how much, if any, of the pesticide residue or its breakdown products remain or in the crop or animal at the time of harvest or slaughter. From these data, the number of days from the last pesticide application until harvest or slaughter is determined. For each pesticide used on a crop or commodity, the EPA establishes a residue tolerance, which is the maximum amount of a pesticide residue that may legally remain on or in food or feed at harvest or slaughter. Tolerances are expressed in parts per million. For example, the tolerance for car carbaryl insecticide on blackberries is 12 parts per million on blackberries, 10 parts per million, but only 5 parts per million in poultry. Pesticide residues on or in food or feed commodities must not exceed the residue tolerances when the crop or animal, including milk, meat, and eggs, is ready for market or livestock feeding. Although specific tolerances are not included on the product labels, pre-harvest intervals and or pre-slaughter intervals are often listed on labels of agricultural pesticides. These are the minimum number of days that must pass between the last application of the pesticide and the harvest of crops or the slaughter of livestock. Intervals are set by the EPA to allow time for the pesticide to break down on crops or in livestock. Adhering to these intervals prevents residues greater than the EPA approved tolerances on food, feed, and or animal products. Food safety is a concern if residues exceed the EPA tolerance or if residues are found on commodities that do not have a tolerance. Under these conditions, the co commodity may be condemned and destroyed. Effects on wildlife and the environment. The company must determine the effects of field application of the pesticide on wildlife and the environment. Any potentially harmful effects on wildlife and the environment that are recognized during these studies must be included in the environmental impact statement submitted to the EPA. Types of pesticide registration. Section three registrations. You are responsible for applying only pesticides registered or exempted from the registration by the EPA and your respective state, territory, or tribe. You may encounter two major types of EPA registrations, Section 3 Standard Registration or Section 24C Special Local Need. In addition, the EPA also allows emergency exemptions from registration. Federal EPA or Section 3 registrations are the most common. Section 3 registrations are granted under the Federal Insecticide, Fungicide, and Rodenticide Act, FIFRA. Look for the official EPA registration number that must appear on the label except for products that the EPA classifies as minimum risk pesticides to be sure you are buying an approved product. Occasionally, pest problems arrive that cannot be managed with currently registered, pe registered pesticides. Sometimes the commodity, target, or site is not on the registered pesticide label. In some situations, you can request a special local need registration or an emergency exemption. Special local need registrations. Special local need registrations are categorized as 24C registrations. They allow states to expand or limit the uses of certain registered pesticides within their jurisdictions. For example, some spe special local need registrations, excuse me, some special local needs allow uses of pesticides for crops or sites not listed on the label. Others add limitations to the uses of a federally registered pesticide to accommodate area-specific conditions. Manufacturers must provide supplemental labeling for each special local need registration. You must have a special local need labeling in your possession to use the pesticide for that purpose. The registration numbers of special local need labeling include the special local need number, and the code for the state issuing the registration. 
These registrations are legal only in the region, state, and or local areas specified in the labeling. Applying a pesticide that has a special local needs registration from another state or region makes you subject to civil and criminal penalties. Emergency exemptions. Emergency exemptions address pest problems for which no pesticides are registered. The EPA can issue an emergency exemption at the request of the state regulatory agency. First, the state must acknowledge the need and consider it appropriate. Usually these needs are based on specific public health quarantine emergencies or crises that require the use of an unregistered pesticide. There must be no feasible alternative to the exception. Known as a Section 18 exemption, it allows the sale and use of a certain pesticide product for the for a specific non-registered purpose during a specified period of time. Regulations impose strict controls and require records keep and require record keeping for all emergency uses. You must understand the special requirements and responsibilities involved whenever you use pesticides with emergency exemptions. The State Pesticide Regulatory Agency prescribes application rates, safety precautions, and other viral application information. Applicators must have a copy of the Section 18 approval in their possession to legally use the product. Although there are often, they are often referred to as labels or labeling, Section 18 use instructions are not true labels. The products have not been registered by the EPA. Applicators can, however, follow the instructions found on a copy of the EPA approval letter to the state authorizing the Section 18 exemption. Minimum Risk Pesticides in 1996, the EPA exempted from registration certain pesticides considered to pose minimal risk to humans and the environment, provided the products satisfy certain conditions. These products were exempted partly on the basis of their minimum risk status and partly as an effort by the EPA to reduce the cost and regulatory burden on businesses. In addition, this allowed the EPA to focus its limited resources on pesticides that pose a greater risk. Products identified as exempt under Section 25B of FIFRA do not require EPA label approve, approval and do not undergo review by the agency. Furthermore, they have no label requirements for an EPA registration number, no e an EPA establishment number, any signal word, or any personal protective equipment. To qualify for a Section 25B exemption from the registration, each of the active ingredients in any such product must be on a list of specified minimal risk at ingredients. In addition, any inert ingredients in these products must also be listed as minimal risk inert ingredients. Label requirements were established by the EPA for minimum risk pesticides. Product labels may not claim to control microorganisms that pose a threat to human health. For example, the label may not list a pest such as a mosquito or tick, but it must not it may list a pest such as a mosquito or tick, but it must not claim to control any microorganisms that the pest transmits to humans. Each state has its own statutes and regulations on pesticide reg registration. Many states do not permit the sale of a Section 25B product unless it is first registered in the state. You need to check with your state regulatory agency on the registration and use requirement of Section 25B products. Parts of the label. Some labels are easy to understand and others are complicated. It is the user's responsibility to read and understand the label before buying, using, storing, or disposing of a pesticide. Each of the label components will be discussed in this section. You want me to read all those or skip all those? There's like six pages. Okay. 
Chapter 3, Material Safety Data Sheets, Physical and Chemical Properties. This section describes the product's physical appearance and provides information about how the product behaves under certain physical and chemical conditions. Particularly relevant are the measures for solubility in water, vapor pressure, stability, and freezing slash boiling point. Water solubility is a factor in whether a substance is likely to be carried off the site in runoff water or in leachate. In general, the lower the solubility, the more likely the substance is to bind to soil particles or organic matter rather than to dissolve in water. A relatively high solubility in water can be a benefit, however, because water-soluble products are excreted in urine rather than stored in body fat. A substance's vapor pressure helps determine whether the substance is likely to volatilize or form a gas. Other factors involved include temperature, how tightly the substance binds to soil particles, plants, or the site of application, and how much water is present combined with the substance's water solubility. Products with relatively high volatility are more likely to be detected through smell than products with low volatility. Some MSDS provides direct information about the odor of a product. Products may range from practically odorless to very apparent. Stability and freezing and boiling points of a substance determine whether a product can be stored over the summer or winter. Freezing and excessive heating may degrade the product, resulting in a loss of efficacy against the pest. Chapter 4. Pesticide Formulations Liquid Formulations Liquid formulations are generally mixed with water, but in some instances labels may per permit the use of crop oil, diesel fuel, kerosene, or some other light oil as carrier. Emulsifiable concentrates, EC or E. An emulsifiable concentrate formulation usually contains a liquid active ingredient, one or more petroleum-based solvents which give EC formulations their strong odor, and an agent that allows the formulation to be mixed with water to form an emulsion. Most ECs contain between 25 and 75% active ingredient per gallon. ECs are among the most versatile formulations. They are used against agricultural, ornamental, and turf, forestry, structural, food processing, livestock, and public health pests. They are adaptable to many types of application equipment, from small portable sprayers to hydraulic sprayers, low-volume ground sprayers, mist blowers, and low-volume aircraft sprayers. Advantages Relatively easy to handle, transport, and store. Little agitation required will not settle out or separate when equipment is running. Not abrasive. Will not plug screens or nozzles. Little visible residue on treated surfaces. Disadvantages High AI concentration, which is active ingredient, makes it easy to overdose or underdose through mixing or calibration errors. May cause damage to desirable plants. Easily absorbed through skin on, of humans or animals. Solvents may cause rubber or plastic hoses, gaskets, and pump parts and surfaces to deteriorate. May cause pitting or discoloration of painted finishes. Flammable should be used and stored away from heat or open flame. May be corrosive. Solutions S. 
Some pesticide-active ingredients dissolve readily in a liquid carrier such as water or a petroleum-based solvent. When mixed with the carrier, they form a solution that does not settle out or separate. Formulations of these pesticides usually contain the active ingredient, the carrier, and one or more other ingredients. Solutions may be used in any type of sprayer, indoors or outdoors. Ready-to-use low-concentrate solutions, RTU. Low-concentrate formulations are ready to use and require no further dilution before application. They consist of a small amount of active ingredient, often 1% or less per unit volume, dissolved in an organic solvent. They usually do not stain fabrics or have unpleasant odors. They are especially useful for structural and institutional pests and for household use. Major disadvantages of low concentrate formulations include limited availability and high cost per unit of active ingredient. Many organic solvents are harmful to foliage, so they often cannot be used as plant sprays. Ultra Low Volume, ULV. These concentrates may approach 100% active ingredient. They are designed to be used as is or to be diluted with only small quantities of a specified carrier and are used at rates of no more than half gallon per acre. These special purpose formulations are used mostly in outdoor applications such as in agriculture, forestry, ornamental, and mosquito, mosquito control programs. Advantages. Relatively easy to handle, transport, and store. Remain in solution, little agitation required. Not abrasive to equipment, will not plug screens or nozzles, <coughs> leaves little visible residue on treated surfaces. Disadvantages. Difficult to keep pesticides on target, it's a high drift hazard. Specialized equipment is required. Easily absorbed through skin or of humans or animals. Solvents may cause rubber or plastic hoses, gaskets, and pump parts and surfaces to deteriorate. Calibration and application must be done very carefully because of the high concentration of active ingredient. Invert emulsions. An invert emulsion contains a water-soluble pesticide dispersed in an oil carrier. Invert emulsions require a special kind of emulsifier that allows the pesticide to be mixed with a large volume of petroleum-based carrier, the usually fuel oil. Invert emulsions aid in reducing drift. With other formulations, some spray drift results when water droplets begin to evaporate before reaching target surfaces. As a result, the droplets become very small and light. Because oil evaporates more slowly than water, invert emulsion droplets shrink less. Therefore, more pesticide reaches the target. The oil helps to reduce runoff and improves rain resistance. It also serves as a sticker spreader by improving surface coverage and absorption. Because droplets are relatively large and heavy, it is difficult to get through coverage on the undersides of foliage. Invert emulsions are most commonly used along rights-of-way where drift is susceptible to non-target plants or sensitive areas can be a problem. Flowables F, liquids L. <clears throat> a flowable or liquid formulation combines many of the characteristics of emulsifiable concentrates and wettable powders. Manufacturers use these formulations when the active ingredient is a solid that does not dissolve in either water or oil. The active ingredient impregnated on a substance such as clay is ground to a very fine powder. The powder is then suspended in a small amount of liquid. The resulting liquid product is quite thick. Flowables and liquids share many of the, many of the features of emulsifiable concentrates, and they have similar disadvantages. They require moderate agitation to keep them in suspension and leave visible residues similar to those of wettable powders. 
flowable slash liquids are easy to handle and apply. Because they are liquids, they are subject to spilling and splashing. They contain solid particles, so they contribute to abrasive wear of nozzles and pumps. Flowables and liquid suspensions settle out in their containers. Always shake them thoroughly before pouring and mixing. Because flowable and liquid formulations tend to settle, manufacturers package them in containers of 5 gallons or less to make remixing easier. Aerosols A. These formulations contain one or more active ingredients and a solvent. Most aerosols contain a low percentage of active ingredients. There are two types of aerosol formulations, the ready-to-use type, commonly available in pressurized sealed containers, and those products used in electrical or gasoline-powered aerosol generators that release the formulation as a smoke or fog. Ready-to-use aerosols. These formulations are usually small, self-contained units that release the pesticide when a nozzle valve is triggered. The pesticide is driven through a fine opening by an inert gas under pressure, creating fine droplets. These products are used in greenhouses, in small areas inside buildings, or in localized outdoor spaces. Commercial models, which hold 5 to 10 pounds of pesticide, are usually refillable. Advantages Ready to use, portable, easily stored, convenient way to buy a small amount of pesticide, and retain potency over a fairly long time. Disadvantages Practical for only very limited uses. Risk of inhalation injury. Hazardous if punctured, overheated, or used near an open flame. Difficult to confine to target site or pest. <clears throat> formulations for smoke or fog generators. These aerosol formulations are not under pressure. They are used in machines that break the liquid formulation into a fine mist or fog using a rapidly whirling disc or heated surface. These formulations are used mainly for insect control in structures such as greenhouses and warehouses and for mosquito and biting fly control outdoors. Advantages. Easy way to fill entire enclosed space with pesticide. Disadvantages. Highly specialized use and equipment. Difficult to combine to target, site, or pest. May require respiratory protection to prevent risk of inhalation injury. Liquid baits. An increasing number of insecticides and rodenticides are being formulated on liquid bait, or as liquid baits. Liquid rodenticides are mixed with water and placed in bait stations designed for these products. They have two major benefits. Liquid rodenticides are effective in controlling rodents, especially rats, in areas where they cannot find water. They are also effective in areas of poor sanitation where ready availability of food renders traditional baits ineffective. Liquid insecticide baits are used primarily by the structural pest control industry for controlling ants and, to a lesser extent, cockroaches. They are packaged as ready-to-use, sugar-based liquids placed inside bait stations. Liquid insecticide ant baits have a number of advantages. They are very effective against certain species of sugar-feeding ants. These ants typically accept and transfer liquid baits into the ant colonies. However, some ants will not feed on liquid baits. Liquid baits also must be replaced often. Dry or solid formulations. Dry formulations can be divided into two types, ready to use and concentrates that must be mixed with water to be applied as a spray. Dust B. Most dust formulations are ready to use and contain a low percentage of active ingredient, usually 10% or less by weight, plus a very fine dry inert carrier made from talc, chalk, clay, nut hulls, or volcanic ash. The size of individual dust particles varies. A few dust formulations are concentrates and contain a high percentage of active ingredients. 
Mix these with dry inner carriers before applying. Dusts are always used dry and can easily drift to non-target sites. They are widely used as seed treatments and sometimes for agricultural applications. In structures, dust formulations are used in cracks and crevices and for spot treatments to control insects such as cockroaches. Insects ingest poisonous dust during grooming or absorb the dust through their outer body covering. Dusts are also used to control lice, fleas, and other parasites on pests and livestock. Advantages. Most are ready to use with no mixing. Effective where moisture from a spray might cause damage, require simple equipment, and effective in hard-to-reach indoor areas. Disadvantages. Easily drift off-target during application. Residue easily moved off-target by air movement or water. May irritate eyes, nose, throat, and skin. Will not stick to surfaces as well as liquids. Dampness can cause clogging and lumping. Difficult to get an even distribution of particles on surfaces. Tracking powders. Special dusts known as tracking powders are used for rodent and insect monitoring and control. For rodent control, the tracking powder consists of finely ground dust combined with a stomach poison. Rodents walk through the dust, pick it up on their feet and fur, and ingest it when they clean themselves. Tracking powders are useful when bait acceptance is poor because of an abundant readily of, of readily available food supply. Non-toxic powders such as talc or flour often are used to monitor and track the activity of rodents in buildings. Baits B. A bait formulation is an active ingredient mixed with food or other attractive substance. The bait either attracts the pest or is placed where the pest will find it. Pests are killed by eating the bait that contains the pesticide. The amount of active ingredient in most bait formulations is quite low, usually less than 5%. Baits are used inside buildings to control ants, roaches, flies, other insects, and rodent control. Outdoors, they sometimes are used to control snails, slugs, and insects such as ants and termites. Their main use is for control of vertebrate pests such as rodents, other mammals, and birds. Advantages. Ready to use. Entire area need not be covered because pest goes to bait. Control pests that move in and out of the area. Disadvantages. Can be attractive to children and pets. May kill domestic animals and non-targeted wildlife outdoors. Pests may prefer the crop or other food to the bait. Dead vertebrate pests may cause odor problems. Other animals may be poisoned as a result of feeding on the poisoned pests. If baits are not removed when the, pests when the pesticide becomes ineffective, they may serve as food supply for, a target, for the target pests or other pests. Paste, gels, and other injectable baits. Paste and gels are mainly used in the pest control industry for ants and cockroaches. Insecticides formulated as pastes and gels are now the primary formulations used in cockroach control. These are designed to be injected or placed as either a bead or a dot inside small cracks and crevices of building elements where insects tend to hide or travel. Two basic types of tools are used to apply pastes and gels, syringes and bait guns. The applicator forces the bait out of the tip of the device by applying pressure to a plunger or a trigger. Advantages. They are odorless, produce no vapors, have low human toxicity, and last for long periods. Applicator exposure is minimal. Hidden placements minimize human and pet exposure. Very accurate in their placement and dosage. Easily placed in insect harborage for maximum effectiveness. Disadvantages. Can become contaminated from exposure to other pesticides and cleaning products. When exposed to high temperatures, gels can run and drip. May stain porous surfaces. Repeated applications can cause an unsightly buildup of bait. 
Granules, G. Granular formations are similar to dust formations, except granular particles are larger and heavier. The coarse particles are made from materials such as clay, corn cobs, or walnut shells. The active ingredients are either coats the outside of the granules or is absorbed into them. The amount of active ingredient is relatively low, usually ranging from 1 to 15% by weight. Granular pesticides are most often used to apply chemicals to the soil to control weeds, nematodes, and insects living in the soil or for absorption into plants through the roots. Granular formulations are sometimes applied by airplane or helicopter to minimize drift or to penetrate dense vegetation. Once applied, granules release the active ingredient slowly. Some granules require soil moisture to release the active ingredient. Granular formations also are used to control larval mosquitoes and other aquatic pests. Granules are used in agricultural, structural, ornamental, turf, aquatic, right-of-way, and public health in fighting insect pest control operations. Advantages. Ready to use, no mixing. Drift hazard is low and particles settle quickly. Little hazard to applicator, no spray, little dust. Weight carries the formulations through foliage to soil or water target. Simple application equipment needed, such as seeders or fertilizer spreaders, may break down more slowly than WIs or ECs because of slow-release coating. Disadvantages. Often difficult to calibrate equipment and apply uniformly. Will not stick to foliage or other uneven surfaces. May need to be incorporated into soil or planting medium. May need moisture to activate pesticide. May be hazardous to non-target species, especially waterfowl and other birds that mistakenly feed on the seed-like granules. May not be effective under drought conditions because the active ingredient is not released in sufficient quantity to control the pest. Pellets, P or PS. Most pellet formulations are very similar to granular formulations. The terms often are used interchangeably. In a pellet formula formulation, however, all the particles are the same weight and shape. The uniformity of the particles allows use with precision application equipment. A few fumigants are formulated as pellets. However, these are clearly labeled as fumigants. Do not confuse them with non-fumigant fumigant pellets. Wettable powders, WP or W. Wettable powders are dry, finely ground formulations that look like dust. They usually must be mixed with water for application as a spray. A few products, however, may be applied either as a dust or as a wettable powder. The choice is left to the applicator. Wettable powders contain 5 to 95% active ingredient by weight, usually 50% or more. The particles do not dissolve in water. They settle out quickly unless constantly agitated to keep them suspended. Wettable powders are one of the most widely used pesticide formulations. They can be used for most pest problems and in most types of spray equipment where agitation is possible. Wettable powders have excellent residual activity. Because of their physical property, most of the pesticide remains on the surface of the treated porous materials such as concrete, plaster, and untreated wood. In such cases, only the water penetrates the material. Advantages. Easy to use, transport, and handle. Likely less than ECs and other petroleum-based pesticides to cause unwanted harm to untreated plants, animals, excuse me, unwanted harm to treated plants, animals, and surfaces. Easily measured and mixed. Less skin and eye absorption than ECs and other liquid formulations. Disadvantages. Inhalation hazard to applicator while measuring and mixing the concentrated powder. Require good and constant, con ag, uh, require good and constant agitation. 
in the spray tank and quickly settle out of the agitator. Quickly settle out if the agitator is turned off. <coughs> Abrasive to many pumps and nozzles, causing them to wear out quickly. Difficult to mix in very hard alkaline water. Often clogs nozzles and screens. Residues may be visible on treated surfaces. Soluble powders, SP or WSP. Soluble powder formulations look like wettable powders. However, when mixed with water, soluble powders dissolve readily and form a true solution. After they are mixed thoroughly, no additional agitation is necessary. The amount of active ingredient in soluble, soluble powders ranges from 15 to 95% by weight. Is usually more than 50%. Soluble powders have all the advantages of wettable powders and none of the disadvantages except the inhalation hazard during mixing. Few pesticides are available in this formulation because few active ingredients are ready soluble in water. Water soluble, excuse me, water dispersible granules, WDG, or dry flowables, DF. Water dispersible Dispersible granules, also known as dry flowables, are like wettable powders except instead of being dust-like, they are formulated as small, easily measured granules. Water dispersible granules must be mixed with water to be applied. Once in water, the granules break apart into fine particles, similar to wettable powders. The formulation requires constant agitation to keep them suspended in water. The percentage of active ingredient is high, often as much as 90% by weight. Water dispersible granules share many of the same advantages and disadvantages of wettable powders, except they are more easily measured and mixed, and because of low dust, they cause less inhalation hazard to the applicator during handling. I'll stop it for now.